Everything of creation, every act that he has initiated on this planet is to send a message that God is for you. Now you'll read some stories along the way in this book that make him sound like, eh, I'm not so sure. But the message of this book from beginning to end is, I love you and I am for you. That's the message to us. That he's for us. That he's not against us. That he understands our humanity, our frailty, our weakness, our humanness. He gets all of that. He's not shocked. Sometimes we're shocked of what we do. He's not. He's not even particularly surprised. I want you to hear this morning the truth of that song and of the word of God, that God is for you. He is not against you. Every sin that you have ever committed has been taken care of at the cross of Calvary. There's no need for another sacrifice. There's no need for any more penance. All you have to do is say, Father, I need you. Father, help in Jesus' name. Father, help in Jesus' name. Father, help in Jesus' name. I can't overcome this thing in my life, but help me in Jesus' name. That's the message. That's the message. Hear it. Hear it. He's for you. He's for you. I don't know how else to emphasize it. He is for you. So this morning, would you thank him that he is for you, that he's not against you. He's for you. He's for you. Let me, let me, I have so many things that I want us to learn as a family. When we applaud, it's not we're cheering Jesus. That is a declaration of, I agree, that's victory. That's victory. That's victory. We say to the Father, that is victory. And when we clap like this, we're saying and declaring to the adversary, you have been defeated. You have been defeated. I have overcome. I have overcome. You have been defeated. Hear what I'm saying to you today. I'm an old man. This is all that I have. But listen to the message. He has made you overcomers in Jesus' name. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us victory through your son. Amen, amen. and amen. Indeed. Now, I know everybody's worried about shaking hands. So you can knuckle or shoulder bump or something, but greet one another in the name of the Lord. Well, bless the Lord. I say it every week. I'd rather be here than the best hospital in town. Yes. Amen. You know, let's thank the Lord for his presence. Now I'm going to ask everybody, you guys turn the lights back up because these people are sleepy this morning. They got, they got cut short on that. And I know the preacher, and he can sometimes not be all there. So anyway, wow. Wow. It's all right. So we're, we're very informal. We have so many ways, Rob. You're bound to like some of them. <laughs> all right. Well, we've asked you before, those of you that have said you'd like to be involved with the children's area and ministry, which I'm so grateful for Catherine and her leadership and seeing that ministry uh, be revived, the first of many that we're believing God for. Uh, if you are getting involved and you haven't filled out that little paper, you can't say, well, our pastor didn't because he turned his in last week. So if uh, Catherine, maybe she's in the room over there. Dale has them as well. Um, 
we'd appreciate you doing that. It's, it's painless. It's not like giving blood. You fill out a little thing, and it's all good. I want to thank you um, for your faithfulness. I got one of the most encouraging texts that I've had in months on Tuesday. Now, have I preached on money since I've been here? No, I've preached on being faithful to God. I haven't preached on money, but if we're going to be faithful, it involves our wallet. Thank you for your faithfulness. And for some of you that are just learning how to give, thank you for the steps that you're taking to honor God with your first fruits. Uh, the text I got was from Dale, and she said, I just went to the bank, and here's the deposit. And now, this is not saying that the offering this morning, oh, we're all good. So if God has prompted you to give and he's blessed and prospered you, give this morning. But she sent me a message that last uh, Sunday's offering and deposit was as great as it's been for a whole month. And it was one Sunday. And I was very thrilled by that. And I just want to encourage you, for those of you that have taken a step, continue to take that step. And God will bless you. He always will. So thank you for that. And thanks for letting me give that. Father, bless this your people as they give in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And if you'll grab your programs. Sorry, we don't have popcorn this morning. We just have programs. If this is your first time here in a while or ever... You'll see on the back of our program kind of a synopsis of the series that we're involved in right now, The Overcoming Life, and uh, we're in Overcoming Doubt today, so you can see we've got a ways to go. And I'm also uh, grateful, to, I can announce it now because he's here, uh, our founding pastor, Pastor Rob, is going to be with us on Palm Sunday. Yeah. Woohoo! Maybe we'll get him to sing and dance and speak. Wouldn't that be the, the trifecta? Anyway, um, I believe he's going to share on overcoming insignificance, unless the Lord's given you something else. Or you can take one of mine. It's all good. Uh, but anyway, thank you for that. Last week, I failed you. And I didn't realize that until this week. Uh, the message last week, I realized, impacted many of you in a powerful way, overcoming rejection. And a lot of it's my story. And sometimes I get wrapped up in my story so much that I don't really, I didn't really provide an opportunity for the Lord Jesus to help you in those areas. Now, I know he can. I get that. But um, I saw grown men cry last week. That's because I went so long. <laughs> no, but um, at the end of the service today, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a little different than the way I normally operate, which there's nothing normal about the way I operate, so you never know how it's going to happen anyway. But at the end, 
I'm going to ask that we do a little something different. And you'll, you'll know when the end is happening. Um, see a word cloud come up and it'll be overcoming. And I'll have a few remarks. And then uh, I have a music video that I've included today. And that will be our benediction. That will be our benediction. And so here's what I'm going to ask. Some of you will, and just be thankful, by the way, that I edited it down from 12 minutes and 40 seconds to just 6 minutes and 40. Some of you will want to stay through the whole thing, and that's good. Some of you two minutes in will say, I'm as blessed as I can be. That's good, too. But I'm going to ask that you, you leave quietly in to respect the time that I believe the Holy Spirit will, will help. Is that okay? So if, if that means your kids are used to piling in, please let them not pile in. Just today, I'm, I love kids. I had grandkids over the house yesterday. That's why I'm wiping my nose. <laughs> the other thing I'd share, if you weren't here last week, um, I just want to reiterate, you know, we've been praying for our grandson, Dax. I've been praying specifically that God, ever since they found he had a genetic mutation, that there would be new DNA. And we got word a week ago Monday that all is well. And uh, even the blood levels that were abnormal are now in the right places. And that's a great thing. And we had him at the house yesterday. And you'll notice I have a black T-shirt on this morning. And... Uh, it was fun to find because apparently he was in my closed drawer yesterday. And we have a big thing that looks like a, like jacks that we use to hold the door open. It's kind of a door weight. That was in my shirt. So he's doing fine. We're grateful for that. And uh, is it safe? To, did you say anything about Lindsay last week? We have another daughter that will have been married 16 years um, coming up here shortly. And... For my birthday, she said, she gave me a card and then said, and wait, there's more. And, the, and more was, you're going to be a poppy again. I sobbed because I, you know, 16 years. But they had to get in the right place in their life, you know, take over the world. And uh, they've done that. And we found out, was it this week or last week? It's a, last week, it's another boy. So you don't even know Brinkley. She's our 10-year-old granddaughter, but now she's surrounded by nothing but boys. Her words when she heard this were, I'm happy for you, Lala. <laughs> but seriously. So. Ever had doubt? You ever, ever had real doubt? How many have ever felt guilty for having doubt? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, friends. If you're human, doubt is a normal thing. And I'm going to share with you that doubt is not a sin. It can become one. But doubt in and of itself is not a sin. It's an alignment issue. And so we're going to talk about that this morning on overcoming doubt. Do you think anybody in the Bible ever had issues of doubt? Oh, yes. 
Someone said, I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) But if you get on the inside of your program, you have the abbreviated version of some verses. And and I forgot what I gave you guys on the media, but I know part of it's there. So I'll tell you when we're on number one. John chapter 20 says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of Jewish leaders. Let me give you the reference. That Sunday evening was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. We would often think they'd be out dancing in the street with signs, told you so. Because if you think about it, friends, they shouldn't have been surprised. It's not like there wasn't a warning or five. Something along the the Son of Man will be delivered over and after the third day, destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it up. I'll rebuild it. You'll see it resurrected. They, they, They shouldn't have been surprised. That was kind of a key sermon theme for the last six months of his ministry. When they avoided Jerusalem, why are we avoiding Jerusalem? Well, because you know when I go there, here's what's going to happen. They shouldn't have been surprised. But they were. In fact, look at their response to the news. That Sunday evening, they were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them, exclamation point. Jesus was just like angels at this point because what do they say when they arrive? Peace, because they freak people out when they show up. (laughs) Jesus, when he shows up through a locked door, And think of the science of that, aligning your molecules with the molecules in the solid substance, and you can actually go through. He is God. He can do that, you know. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace. Why did he have to say peace a second time? Because they were still freaking out. I mean, they're freaking out at seeing him, and then they're freaking out when they see his hands and his side. And and I don't think he was wearing Adidas, so they could probably see his feet. (laughs) I don't know about you, but... I'd like a little more sermonizing before this next line came. It says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. (laughs) We're still getting over that you're here. And now you're changing, you're, you're turning everything. We have been followers of you, which spiritually we will continue to be, but now you're asking us to turn and lead like you led. One sentence. Not even a nice flowery introduction. I'm surprised you didn't have to say right there, peace be with you again. 
But it says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now listen to the rest of this. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Ooh, that's a lot of power. Now the guy that gets picked on is mentioned. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. Where, what do we call this guy? Doubting, Doubting Thomas. We put that label on the front of him. Let's be honest, it's doubting disciples. He just got in on it eight days later. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked again. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing there among them, and guess what he had to say again? Peace. They hadn't got used to the coming through the door thing. <laughs> then he said to Thomas, now this is a freak out. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. How did he know that that's what Thomas said? We say, well, he knew because he's God. Well, I understand that now, but you've got to understand how Thomas feels when he's quoting me. Was he listening in the back room? Was the CIA of Jerusalem there? <laughs> yeah, there you go. His response is, my Lord and my God. Thomas exclaimed, then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's us. That's pretty cool. So are you ready to fly? Here we go, number one. Doubt is a human issue. That's your first fill-in. Doubt is a human issue. And guess what? Thomas had doubts. You could put in there, Mark has doubts. Think about it. Thomas had doubts. Now, Let's think about it. Jesus had talked about his death. He had talked about his resurrection. He had talked about that more than once, a number of times, and yet Thomas refused to believe until he had proof. But here's the good news. We know that Thomas overcame his doubts. The reason we know that, do you know that he ended up in India? In fact, you can find a shrine there that's dedicated to him, and any Christian faith that comes from that region of the world is attributed ultimately back to him going there. Do you know they loved him so much that he was martyred with spears? He overcame his doubts. If you doubt something, you're probably not going to die for it. He didn't remain a doubter. But wait, there's more. 
this is B, the disciples doubted. The disciples doubted. They doubted a lot. In Matthew chapter 14, it says the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. Now think about it. Why are they freaked out about him coming through a door when they'd seen him walk on water? When the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost, not a holy one. It's an apparition. It's a spirit. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. It's amazing. They hear his voice. Okay, that can calm it down. The disciples doubted on Galilee. You know, they, just, they, they too, just like Thomas, doubted after the resurrection. Verse 37 of Luke chapter 24 says, The whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with fear? And what else? They're filled with doubt. Those things go together. And then what does he say to the disciples? The same thing he says to Thomas eight days later. Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies. So we get that. Poor Thomas, he's, he's labeled the doubter. Well, guess what? Eight days earlier, they were in the same boat. Doing the same thing. Challenging the same process. And Jesus having to say, come on up, line up. Don't all mug me at once. Now, how many think at this point, you've seen him walk on water, you've seen him come through doors, you've heard him say, peace, peace, you think that'd be pretty cool. And then you've got 40 days of stuff going on where he keeps showing up in the strangest places and times. And then he says, go north, I'll meet you in Galilee. And so in Matthew chapter 28, it says, the disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, I want you to hear. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but were not done. But some of them doubted. They doubted when he was walking on water. They doubted when he showed up in their midst for the disciples, other than Thomas, at least twice. We know there's another a number of other instances where he arrives, and yet now he says, go up here, we'll meet. I got a last message for you. And it says some of them still doubted. Do you know other people in the Bible? Others doubted. I got, I've got three or four there for you. Uh, the first one was Abraham and Sarah. I gave you a whole bunch of references. I'll just tell you this, this story in a nutshell. When you're, when you're nearing 100 and somebody shows up and says you're going to be a father, I'm not nearing 100, I'm nearing 65. If God were to show up and say that, I'd say, you're out of your mind. you say, but it's God. I still think he's out of his mind. Maybe I could do it. I don't know that I could raise a child. It's, we had him for one day. I was exhausted. It's like, when are they going to go home? 
We went to Costco to buy a pre-made chicken because I wanted to eat in three minutes, and we did. And I was ready for bed at seven, which is eight. Yeah. They were given a promise in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And in fact, in Genesis 15, they said, oh, maybe it's going to be my servant. And God says, no, it's not going to be your servant. So they listen in obedience and they line up Hagar. <laughs> if you don't know your Bible stories, they didn't listen in obedience. They went ahead and said, well, it must be through the servant because Sarah can't give birth. She's barren. So their plan was Ishmael. That's in Genesis 16. And Ishmael ended up being kind of a, God blessed him, but he ended up being a thorn in their side, and is still a thorn in the side of that region to this day. In Genesis 17, they did what Jill would do if an angel showed up at our house and said, you're going to have a child. And said, they laughed in disbelief. Jill used to say for years, if we were to have another, she would say, go to Lindsay and say, behold your child. <laughs> I don't know about you, but Abraham's a pretty big guy in the Bible. And he didn't get one visit, but at least three we know of that gave the promise. Now, granted, there was 25 years that happened in this thing. How about the guy David? You ever heard of him? Oh, he never doubted. In 2 Samuel, he was angry with the Lord because of what happened to Yuza. Remember, they were going to bring the ark in. They got halfway there, and it started to tremble, and the guy put his hand on it, and he, he was struck dead. So they parked it there. God, I thought you wanted me to bring it in, and this is what you do? None of us have ever responded that way, right? Sure we have. Then guess what happens at that house? Blessing. So you start watching blessing for a while and saying, maybe I ought to go back to the obedience thing. I don't understand it. I, I doubt this whole thing, but send a team down. Make sure we get a better wagon. <clears throat> wider wheelbase, maybe some rubber tires, meet that Goodyear guy. That's a joke. <laughs> right? How about this guy? This is C in your notes, or three. Moses. He never had doubts. This is a guy that threw his rod down and became a snake. He picked it up, kind of freaked out about that, threw it back down, become a rod again. He's a guy that says things and the Lord sends frogs. There was a heap of them. They were knee deep in them. Knee deep. Anything to keep you here. I'm keeping you hopping. There you go. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. But, you know, even before that, in Exodus 4, he says, what if they don't believe or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? You didn't have doubts. Okay, what's in your hand? That staff will throw it down. So he did, and it became a snake. And Moses said, ah, oh, a miracle. No, the next three words in Bible are, Moses, jump back. 
Okay, so you never heard of those. How about the fourth one, the children of Israel? Now you've seen ten plagues. You've headed out of town, several million of you. You've headed out of town with a lot of the wealth of Egypt. The banks opened their doors. The ATM limits were off. Take as much as you want. Don't even need to know the pin. Take it out of your boss's account. They had a pretty neat exit. Uh-oh. There's a Red Sea in front of us. We're going to die. But they didn't. They walked through. They walked through, and there they went. They walked through. And there's some that say, well, you know, they really went through the Sea of Reeds, and it was about six inches deep, and, and the wind came and it dried it out. Well, okay, let's say that's the truth. And what's a miracle is that the whole army of Pharaoh drowned in six inches of water. <laughs> Take it whatever way you want. Now they get out there and they run into a difficulty. After seeing ten plagues that didn't touch them, after seeing the angel of death and seeing the miracle of the Passover, and after going through the Red Sea, and now they get out there, you would think they'd be all in. You would think. Exodus 16, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Another time they start longing for the stew. Oh, that the vegetables, the leeks. Man, if we'd been eating broccoli, I'd be grateful to go out and have manna. Here's the fact. Everybody doubts. And what is doubt? Doubt, just write this in. It means double vision. Doubt means to be uncertain, to hesitate to believe. It comes from a Latin word. It means of two minds. And the Greek word literally means two stances. When you have doubt, you have double vision. You have what you understand and you have what faith says. Does that make sense? See, God says, go this way. People, circumstances, your intellect say, that doesn't work. We, we received an offering this morning. It doesn't make sense to give 10% of your money away when things are tough. It just doesn't, intellectually, it, it doesn't add up. I teach, I, I would used to teach math 30 years. I can't show you a mathematical principle that makes it work that 90% goes farther than 100 but God speaks, and he says, do it, and I'll open the windows of heaven. Does that make sense? I've shared with you our story of doubting. When the Lord whispered to me, put it in there, and I didn't want to put it in there. Why can't we give to our ministry, which takes care of us, instead of giving it to their ministry to take care of them? But the Lord was very clear, and we chose. We had, I had doubt, but I also had faith. 
that says, just stick it in the plate. I don't want to see you pocketing that check. Stick it in there. And we did. <laughs> doubt is double vision. Okay. So quickly, three truths about doubt. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. That's your fill in A. There's a difference between doubt. Doubts about God occur when our intellect can't grasp what God says. We struggle to understand, but we want to obey. Doubt does not make us an unbeliever. When I doubt, I'm trying to believe. But my intellect, my senses, my experience, my hurts, everything, I'm, I don't understand it through those filters. I don't see it, but I'm saying I want to find a place of faith. That sounds okay, doesn't it? But unbelief occurs when we refuse to engage our intellect in an honest effort to believe. Unbelief is the refusal to believe. It doesn't even try. Without making an effort to the contrary, it just says, I won't believe. So I put the quote of Henry Drummond there. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't. Doubt is honest. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief, this is powerful. Unbelief is content with darkness. Here's some other great news. Jesus was gracious to doubters. Isn't that neat? He was gracious to doubters. We already know about Thomas. We already know about the disciples. How about Nicodemus? John 3. That whole story, we all know 316. God so loved the world. Well, you remember that? That was a guy that came and said, I have some questions about what's going on. That's okay. Ask away. Jesus was gracious to Nicodemus. How about Mary and Martha who come to him and say, if you'd have been here sooner, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You got the, we know you got the message. We saw your phone and the little thing went blue, blue, blue. So we knew you were, and then somehow you didn't text us back. Why are you too late? But whatever you want to do, we're good with that. How about the father that comes with a demon-possessed son? Jesus said to that guy, anything's possible for those who believe. Look at what his response was. He was honest and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm trying to believe. It makes no sense to me. Jesus was gracious. Peter's walking on the water. Why is he walking on the water? Because Jesus said, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, come to me. And he did. Now, we pick on him, but I'm going to say there's 11 other people that are hanging on to his cloak as he's stepping out of the boat. Dude, you don't even swim. <laughs> Jesus rescued him. Thomas needed to touch Jesus. Doubt itself isn't sin. Doubt becomes sin when we disobey God. But doubt is a short-term issue because God will always provide an opportunity to address our doubts about him. So, three steps to overcome doubt. Are you ready? Surrender your doubts to God. Surrender. God will not be shocked if you arrive and say to him, I don't get it. 
and doesn't knock him off his throne. Jesus isn't shocked. Oh, my. He understands our humanity. He understands our feet of clay. He understands the fact that we're wrestling between what our heart and faith want to believe and cling to and what our intellect and our mind sees. See, that's one of the horrible things that happened in Genesis 3. We went from being heart-centric to mind-centered. This was supposed to run us. This starts to run us. The problem with this, it needs to see things through the filter of the heart. And when the heart's dead, or like my grandson's iPad, he's taking pictures, and why is it so blurry? What's wrong with this iPad? There's nothing wrong with the iPad. It's just the lens that has about three years of four-year-old stuff on it. <laughs> Sometimes we have to deal with the critic. The critic may be internal. It may be someone out the outside. I'm going to challenge you. When you have a critic, inner or external, look to his word for answers. I feel alone. By now you should know what verse I quote. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will not physically abandon you. I will not emotionally abandon you. Have you ever had to deal with a skeptic? It may be internal. It may be external. It said there's got to be more than one religion. How can it, Here's the question that a lot of people wrestle with. How can a good God allow suffering? One that bugs me, I'll just be honest. God needed an angel. No, he didn't. He makes them. Remember, death is a gift. That's not fun to think of, but it is true. Had we lived forever in our sinful condition, there was no hope. That's why he said, I'm not going to let you live that way but you believe on me, you'll have eternal life. And so here's the good news. My last breath here is my first breath there. My last thought here is my first thought there. And I imagine some of us, knowing how we are, when we arrive, we'll be going, is this real? And I'm guessing the first thing that will get said is, peace. That seems to be how a lot of us respond when God shows up. How can a loving God send people to hell? Those are those skeptics. Here's the thing I do know, that Jesus could not help doubters who wouldn't turn to him. There was a guy in Matthew 19. He's known as the rich young ruler. He shows up. What's a man have to do to have eternal life? Well, follow this, this, and this. I've done all of that. That's pretty arrogant, but let's, let's buy it. Let's say he did all of that. And so Jesus says to him, oh, just one more thing, given the offering. Well, that's not really what he said. He said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus couldn't help him. He was a doubter that Jesus couldn't help. 
Do you realize his hometown was filled with doubters? I'm just giving you the references in Mark chapter 6. A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown. Remember, they tried to throw him off a cliff. And where I come from, there was a lot of cliffs. You know, the Bible says, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal a few. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Sometimes that skeptic says, how do I deal with tragedy? Why did God allow this to happen? Why did my loved one die? Why am I suffering? Why doesn't he answer my prayers? If he loves me as much as others, how come they're blessed more than me? How come I don't hear God's voice? You know what? It's okay. God's not shocked by any of those things brought to him. Say, I, I don't understand. I don't get it. Here's my questions. And through his word and by his spirit, he'll give you the answers that you need or the peace that you need to step forward in faith and to move from doubt into action of faith. Letter B, trust God's word to resolve your doubts. Where do you turn to resolve your doubts? Run down to the store and buy a book from some guy who's a skeptic. Turn your doubt toward God and trust his word, not unbelievers, not skeptics, to resolve it. The Bible says it this way in Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. How do you overcome doubt with faith? Where are you going to find it? In the word of God. And it's even great because it gets interpreted by the spirit of God. Now listen, Thomas' problem was not that he didn't believe the disciples. His problem was that he didn't believe Jesus. Because remember, Jesus had said in Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer terrible things. He'll be rejected. He'll be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. Okay, that's pretty direct. That's in Luke 9. But see, also another time, Peter had double vision. You know, when he walked on the water, he was doing really great because it says he looked to Jesus. But if you read the scripture there, it says then he looked at the waves and the wind. So now he's got two perspectives, Jesus Winds and wave. Hmm, doubt. I don't walk on water anymore. Do you realize if he'd have kept his eyes focused on Jesus and not his circumstances, he'd have walked right to him, and they'd have walked back together. You see, Satan will always challenge you to question God's words. What were his first words to humans? Did God really say in Genesis 3? Did God really say? Satan wants us to doubt his word so that he can keep us confused, disoriented, and defeated. You ready for number letter C? Simple words. Step out in faith and see what happens. Step out in faith and see what happens. You see, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is overcoming doubt. So there's your number one there. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the overcoming of doubt. 
And number two is acting in faith doesn't mean that you have no doubts. Instead, it means that you've made up your mind. We were at the doctor this week because we're getting ready to go to one of those islands. I get confused. I think it's Fiji now. And so we had to go get 8,000 shots. And since we've just changed medical groups, they were looking up our records, and they can't find the two major surgeries I've had in the last decade. But they could find one from 62 years ago. <laughs> they said, oh, we see you have eye surgery. I did when I was two. They plopped it out, tightened the muscles. If you look close, you can see the scars, not in the eye, but in the whites. And if you see me on a tired day, you'll notice, because my one eye, the right one, will look right at you, and my left one will say, oh, yeah, we got a stain on the ceiling. <laughs> it was a great tool to have as a school teacher. <laughs> How did you see me, Pastor Mark? It was easy. I'm tired. This guy goes where he wants. When I want to know how it really is, I look through this eye. You ever done that thing? You know, you put your finger out there and you cover one, you cover the other, and whichever one it moves kind of tells you which is the dominant. I'm, I'm going to tell you, 9,999 times, out of 9,999 times, when I cover this eye, nothing moves. Because I probably spend 90% of my time looking at this one. Because this one spent two years on vacation. What's the point? You're always going to see two things. It's just, you have to choose which one you want to follow. Acting in faith does not mean that you have no doubts. It says, I've made up my mind. Which message are you going to believe? My right eye. Now, here's a quote that you have to read real slow for it to make sense. You will doubt it until you do it. And then you won't doubt it because you don't doubt it. In other words, you'll understand after you do what God says and experience the results, but not before. God, prove it, and if you prove it, then I'll do it. No, you do it, and then he'll prove it. It's that simple. Psalms 111, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commands will grow in wisdom. Why do we want that? So let me conclude. Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And say, Mark, you're asking me to have faith. I don't see it. If you saw it, it's not faith.
But if you look at things through the lens of Scripture interpreted by the Spirit, you will see through your eye of faith, and you'll act, and your faith will then become reality. But Mark, you don't know me. You don't know my life prior to coming to the rivers. God's done with me. But you know there was a group of people that said that to God back in Jeremiah? And it's a verse that most of you know and many of you quote, but you need to understand the context because they're saying to God, you're never going to do this, you're never going to do this, nothing's ever going to happen. And he basically, the Mark O'Connell version says, don't tell me what I'm going to do. Because it says, for I know the plans I have for you. Don't you tell me what my plans are. Why don't you ask me what my plans are? Don't you tell me what my plans are. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I will tell you something that I said to Jill this week. I am having the time of my life pastoring this church. Not because I'm perfect, not because I'm even great. Some Sundays I'm good. (laughs) But here's why I'm having the time of my life. At 64, I am comfortable with who I am. And I am comfortable at the calling that God has placed on me. And at 64, I have a future. And I have hope. You have a future. You should have hope. This church has a future. You should have hope for us as a family. Is it always going to be like this? No. Would it like to be like that in a moment's time? We'd be so shocked we wouldn't know what to do. Although I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to the day that we're an adolescent. I love adolescent churches. That's where they're bigger, but they're not coordinated yet. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to that day. Now, if you're sitting here, I'm looking around, and I remember the first Sunday. We've doubled. We might be the fastest-growing church in America. (laughs) It's all perspective. It's the good eye. God is for you. Do you have doubts? It's okay to say, I doubt it. Have a discussion with him. Sit down with him. Look at what he's written to you. And then say, I don't understand this. God, by the spirit eye, interpret this for me to help me understand. But do not ever step into unbelief. Doubt is okay. Unbelief says, I refuse to believe. So as we close, there should be a word cloud slide coming up. Oh, look at that. There it is. So you can see where we are. We're on doubt. 
we got a long way to go. We still got rejection, and you know, we had that. We got fear and a whole bunch of stuff. Here's what I want to do as we close. God has a blessing for you. Is a blessing for your family. He is for you. So I'm going to, this is an altar call for two weeks because I failed you last week. If you struggle with rejection, as this next video slide is playing, it's okay to say, God, here's how I feel about that. Remember, I talked about rejection. It started with me being abandoned at birth. It affected every relationship I had with females. I didn't trust y'all. <laughs> it's hard to be married when you don't trust your spouse. But God didn't give up on me. And he sent some things along the way to send a message to me that I can help you overcome your rejection. And he did. And I had two years of living this sermon. When I stood in my closet at Oral Roberts University, the father of the charismatic movement, and I'd stand in my closet and say, God, if you're really real, you need to show up because I don't believe you exist. Because if you do, the way you treated me is unfair. You know what I discovered? That he wasn't shocked that I had doubt. He wasn't knocked off his throne that I said, I don't get it. Jill and I will be here. If you'd like prayer, you can feel free to come up. You can sit at your seat. You can go. But remember, we're going to respect this next six minutes and 42 seconds. God bless you. Go ahead and...